Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen. What up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. Hope everybody is doing well. Happy New Year. I am hoping, wishing 2022 is a much better, more open year and get past all this stuff, start traveling again. I've personally had three trips in the last month ruined basically because of Omicron. Pretty bummer. We we're supposed to go to Costa Rica. That trip got canceled. Kids got the flu. We thought it was Omicron, but we couldn't travel because they were sick. Christmas, family member came with it, so we had to separate from everybody. And then I was just supposed to be on another trip and we had a close encounter and it was a lot of travel and had to bail on that too. So fully tired of it and hoping that we can get back to some normalcy. Just uh, everyone, let's go out and get it so we can be done with it, I guess. I don't know. It's probably a bad idea, but um, man, anyways, let's talk foiling. What's going on? I have been really frothing on the Takuma 1095. And I don't think that the Takuma 1095 will be a unique foil in the future, but I think when we have these evolutionary leaps, like the 120, like Cliffy's 190, I mean, the Godfather right there, and then uh, what we've seen in in high aspect, the mid-length craze, the mid-aspect the mid um, aspect craze that happened with the Game Changer, some of those foils, uh, the Lift 150 V2 or just all the V2 Lift stuff, and then what Lift did with the 120 and now the 1095, we've seen these big jumps where it's shattered our beliefs in what is possible. And dihedral and high aspect is a real thing, being able to crank turns on something that feels like it shouldn't when you're pumping it. Um, that's special. And so starting to open up what I, how I'm approaching surfing, you know, we all look at speed as the thing, but really what I think it is, is the efficiency. I mean, you need wave pace, but I think that solid foiling, I think I talk about this on the show a little bit. We recorded this a couple of weeks ago um, and I've just been really busy, so I haven't been able to get it out. I apologize for that. But the, um, the efficiency that something like a 120 or a 1095 gives you is the ability to be able to relax in your surfing because you're not worried about speed. You've got all the speed you need on tap, so it ends up being about the lines you want to draw. And now I've had some trouble remapping lines with that amount of speed so you have to approach the wave differently everything has to kind of get stretched out and you have to feel you have to figure out where you can compress those lines back into the pocket but a couple weeks in now on this foil and things are starting to tighten up a whole lot and it's it's really special and then you couple that with the efficiency letting you do you know personal record uh shore runner downwind runs and it's it's unreal. So that's that's the first thing I'm really excited about. I think that as we see these evolutionary jumps, then the rest of the market kind of takes that new approach on and then continues to explore it and everything gets better. I think that we're seeing one of those 
one of those inflection points right now, which is really cool. Also, Dave Kalama, huge shout out, Dave. Thank you so much. Sent me a prone downwind board, 6'4", 23. And the thing is blowing my mind. The ease at which it catches waves has opened up. We had a really flat week right around, right after Christmas. And I was the only guy out there and I was having a blast because on this board, I'm chipping in to six inch to one foot waves, um, either prone or sup. I, you know, I used to do a lot of sup, so I, I got a sup paddle and I mean, either way, it's really easy to chip in. And once you're up there, I mean, there's so much energy in the ocean, you know, on most days that you just have to be up on foil, especially with these new high efficiency foils. And so that's just been blowing my mind. So kudos to Dave. I mean, he absolutely slayed it. If you guys are looking for just a different way to approach the ocean, highly recommend getting one. It is the most excited. I mean, the foil changes is that they're incremental. The board approach is it just opens up so much that I did not think was on offer. And I've already thought for a long time that foiling is, you know, incredibly abundant. And this just gives you more abundance. It's you know, unbelievable. Um, so that's the first that's the first part of of what that board did for me. The second part is it's made winging incredibly fun. I was on a Kalama four five eighty liter board, and I did not realize that, that board was making my progression in winging much harder than it had to be. You know, the front to back stability is incredibly difficult on it. It's uh for me it you know, a little bit, it's a sinker for me. And it's, it's probably not as much of a sinker as I would need it to be. I think actually, if I was more underwater, it would be easier, but getting on the bigger board and something that has, it's so fast in the water that in like 10 miles an hour wind the other day, I was taking off on the Cabrina 800, no problem. And on that day, it was a South wind day. I was just using it to chip in. And then I was just doing shore runners on it. It was so incredibly fun. The wing just, it's really, I'm starting to see the value in the wing. I know everybody's been, I mean, Brian and Pedigo, they, they've been pushing me really hard to get into it. And I am, I'm starting to see the value in, in what's possible on the wing. Um, and yesterday, actually, we had just a bonker session. It, it nuked directly from the north. And it's the best bumps I've ever seen in Florida. I actually halfway through the session I, I wished that I had taken out the sup downwind board because I've been able to chip in way out the back um, you know unbroken waves like the legit downwinder type of, uh, of takeoff and yesterday would have been bonkers with the wing you know I'm not good on the wing yet so it was in the way a lot but I still had some incredible runs did 25 miles an hour yesterday which is the fastest I've ever gone on the wing by far uh, which was a little scary uh, and I think it ended epically bad <laughs> and I'm ridiculously sore today, but just so fun. So just a lot of cool stuff going into 2022. Can't wait to explore all of it. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks for all of the last year was a, a big year for the show. You know, listens were up two, three X from what they were before growing really quickly. Um, most popular episodes by far, uh, happened last year of the show. So thank you guys for the support and for tuning in and hit me with questions, comments, feedback, and 
yeah, thanks for coming along on this ride and enjoy the show. Oh, yeah, guest today. Guest is Jack Ho. He's been on the show before. He's a legend. Rides for Lyft. Does everything. He's an incredible big wave surfer, longboarder, shortboarder, uh, tremendous on foil, winging. You know, got, um, I think it was second in the Hood River race. Talk about that. And it's really good always to get Jack's perspective on where the sport is right now. And some interesting things, some things that I wasn't anticipating, like how racing and the design for racing has started to kind of create some divides between riders because people are afraid to share what they're working on. It's almost like a Formula One type thing where there is a competitive advantage to gear and the guys at the top don't want anyone else to see their gear. So then they're not talking about it and they don't want to foil as much with other people. It's kind of a weird thing. I don't know if it's good or if it's bad. Um, And that's something that Dave Kalama a long time ago said was that he hopes that foiling stays away from racing because he doesn't think it's good for the sport. Um, you can go back and listen to, I think it's two Kalamas ago. Um, but Jack was, was saying that that is now what Dave was predicting was going to happen. It seems to be happening a little bit. So, so interesting take there from Jack and Jack, uh, thanks always for coming on the show and hope everybody's well. What's up, Jack? Hey, Eric. Thanks for that introduction. How are you? Uh, really good, man. How have you been? I've been uh, doing good. Actually, haven't been foiling a ton, but should we I'm just happy stop to... this now or what? I, I, I think we can keep it going, but I'm happy to be back on the show. And <laughs> fire me to get back foiling again. Yeah, well, I've been watching your clips, dude. It looks like you guys have had some really good surf, and maybe we start there. In that, what I what I, what, I'll, what we'll start with is. How has foiling influenced your surfing? I see you riding shortboards, longboards, mid-lengths. I really like that mid-length you were on the other day. I'm a huge fan of mid-lengths. It looked like a Channel Islands. I don't know what it was, but that's one of my favorite. Howard Special is one of my favorite boards ever. But how has foiling... We always talk about how surfing is influencing foiling. How has your foiling influenced your surfing? Yeah, so we've been getting a lot of great waves lately. And there just hasn't... Here in Hawaii... The waves are so good when they are, so there just isn't really any use for that foil when it's good. But, you know, wintertime on the North Shore, the waves are getting bigger and more consistent. So we've been going surfing a lot. And yeah, I was on a, I rode a mid-length the other day as well as my twin fin and my longboard and kind of just riding whatever I wanted to ride and switching it up and kind of doing it all, as I like to say. But that's a great question. How, how has surfing influenced my foiling? Yeah. And how has foiling influenced my surfing? It's, it's a back and forth kind of thing. Starting with foiling influencing, influencing my surfing, it's when I started foiling, oh, I, I didn't want to surf, and I'm sure everyone else kind of felt the same. There's no really use for like the surfboard anymore, as you thought at first. And, and I think what the most important fo- thing that foiling has done to me is it made me want to surf more because... You know, you know, you go like two, three weeks of just straight foiling if it's super windy or if it's super bad waves. And finally, when the waves are pumping, you get so excited to surf because you haven't done it in a while. So it's kind of bringing that kind of vibe of being super stoked or excited for something. It brings it back into surfing and it keeps it fun. It's not just boring surfing waves every single day is doing the same thing. And being able to switch it up and then coming back to surfing is what I like the most. Coming back to surfing is what you like the most. Yes. Has 
foiling and the speeds of foiling slowed down surfing for you a little bit. That's one of the things that I noticed when I did a pretty good stint of surfing in the middle of my foiling. Yes, it has. I mean, you know, the foil is so fast and then you get back on your, your surfboard and you're kind of just bogging. You're not doing too well, or you're just kind of going slow and getting stuck in the flat sections. But with coming back to surfing and being able to draw your lines and coming off the bottom and doing cutbacks and hitting the lip. And my favorite thing is getting barreled. You can't do that on a foil. So yeah, it's even though it's slower in a way, it's a different sensation where you're getting tubes, you're doing huge cutbacks where on the foil, you're doing different maneuvers that are still fun, but it's just different. So not being able to do those type of surfing maneuvers every day in perfect conditions is what makes it so fun. Because when you do get the opportunity to do that, you strike and you, you go for it and you give your hundred percent and you get committed for that few days or those that week. Yeah. I see you riding everything, you know, you're talking about twin fin, shortboard, longboard. How are you approaching surfing right now? Is it, are you approaching it in a deliberate way? Is are there things that you're working on or are you just picking what's the most fun for the day and just having fun out there? Yeah. So I'm, I'm 16 years old and all of my friends are, there's this kind of thing that goes on, I guess, when we're, when you guys, when you're younger, but especially with my friend and my friend group, there's this thing where it's only shortboarding. Like everyone wants to just shortboard. Everyone wants to rip. And I think that's awesome. But I geographically where I live, you can't shortboard every day. So being able to ride everything gives you such a more advantage. It gives you a better advantage to being able to enjoy the conditions. So while all my friends are just shortboarding, you know, crap waves or just like wind swell, I can foil. But then with my ride, everything mentality is what I like to think about it is you ride the right board for the right condition, but also the right board for you and what you want to do. So for example, I literally just got back from surfing the North shore and this morning the waves are eight feet. And I rode my longboard and everyone's out there on their shortboards. I wanted to longboard. I wanted to get some barrels. And then I drove back to a different spot. The waves are smaller, but I surfed my shortboard because I wanted to you know, perform with my friends. And it's kind of just switching it up, which is the most important thing. Because if you just stick to one craft, yeah, you can get really good at that. But then what's, what's the point? There's, there's almost no enjoyment once you're doing the same thing over and over again, where with different boards, you have to draw different lines. And I think being able to do and ride multiple different crafts and do it well is something that's super rewarding for me and something that I want to kind of chase. That's one of my goals is to do everything really well and to my best ability. So that kind of goal is out there and I know it's in reach and I'm just inspired to get there. So that's, that's my drive towards the kind of ride everything mentality. One of the things that I notice is that when I mix it up a lot, and within the surf world, or if you know, I'm skating or snowboarding or something like that, I notice lines that I would not otherwise notice when I go back to foiling or go back to surfing. Are you drawing feels from one board back to other boards and, and trying to figure out different ways to explore the wave in that way? Oh, fully. And that's uh, kind of cool that you said that because for me, I, I know I've said this in the past on the show, but foiling for me is all about style you could be the most ripper foiler guy and be doing the craziest turns but if you're doing them without style then i i don't think it's good 
where you could be the guy who's going straight on the wave or doing these little cutbacks. But if you have a ton of style, I love it. And uh, that kind of draws back to the whole longboard, mid-length kind of vibe, even shortboard or any type of surfing you want to do with style, speed, power, flow. And of course, style are the four main kind of contenders for me when I'm trying to perform. And with the foiling, since it's still, for me, it's so style driven that when I come back to a mid length or a long board, I kind of, you know, it's as simple as arm placement, like where you could be standing on a stick figure soldier stance, or you could, you know, have something cool going on with your arms or your form when you do a turn. And I think being able to go to the foil, kind of recognize that and practice that on the foil, then going back to the surfboard and doing it and, you know, maybe you put your arms this way in a more proper form and you get a better turn off of it. Then you can go back and forth and see how certain forms and certain styles work on both different crafts. Yeah. You know, when I went back and did a surf dive after, and really, I guess I would say that my dive and foiling over the last year has been a lot about style. Like I, I really love, cause it's so flowy that you can make it all seem pretty relaxed when you do it well. I'm not saying I do it well yet, but like, that's the goal. And it was crazy how much better my surfing was put together because in surfing, like it was always just about being as radical as I could be when I shortboarded and, you know, going back and looking at it, it's all pretty ugly. <laughs> and now <laughs> having thought about style so much, like all, I don't say all of it, but a lot of it carried back into surfing. And yeah, it's just, I mean, like Rob Machado, Craig Anderson, there's like timeless surfing, right? Like that's what I strive for. For sure. So sick. I've been uh, uh, a true, true story here. I just got off the airplane two days ago and on my seven hour flight, I was listening to a couple podcasts of the progression project. Oh, sick. I, kind of, I just downloaded them and I, I rarely get enough time in my life to sit down and listen to podcasts or videos or documentaries and so this was an opportunity i listened to kahis and mateos and i believe canes and you, you learn so much from them but then what i just was looking through instagram and clicked on tag after tag finally got to your account and saw your videos and yeah i see them in my feed but everyone kind of just scrolls through instagram so kind of watching your videos and you're so smooth and i know i messaged you about this the other day but I wanted to highlight how you're doing everything strapless and it's not necessarily the most power maneuvers. You're doing all these style carves and I think it looks so good Thanks, where dude. you see other guys with the straps and they're just full sanding, boosting huge airs, arms flailing everywhere, doo-doo stance, just not really, not really stylish or maybe it's like functional for them because you're going high, but it doesn't look good to the eye. And I think when I watched your videos, I was really a fan of, how it looked and how smooth it was and kind of just how effortless it looked. Thanks, man. Actually, when you sent that, that made me happy. Cause like, I remember talking to you about style back in the day and uh, Scotty and, and like, you know, since those early conversations, that's, it's always been a focus, but it was really cool. You, Scotty and Kiahi were the first three people that I've actually heard about, talk about working on style you know, like coming from like shortboarding, you never really think about it. You just kind of think people have inherent style. And then it was something I started like trying to cultivate with, you know, breaking down Torn Martin and stuff like that. But then I didn't really know that other people were, were focused on it. And so it was inspirational 
that some of the guys that I look up to with the best style, Yukiahi and Scotty, were also like really hyper focused on it. And so it kind of gave a lot of, I don't know, credence to like, oh, like it takes work. It's like, it's like any other maneuver in surfing. It's like something you need to, to work on. And so anyways, when you sent that message the other day, I was like super stoked because oh, kind of full circle back to the, that conversation, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I was stoked to see your videos. Um, one thing that's interesting that I want to point out is Scotty, Kiahi and myself, I think what's different about us for maybe like the average show shortboarder foiler guy is that Kiahi, first of all, wind surfs and kite surfs and does all these wind sports and to do them well and to do such complicated sports and maneuvers and ride complicated equipment well if to do it well you have to have proper form you have to have proper style you have to do it properly or else it doesn't look good it doesn't work good and with scotty he he loves twin fins he loves these kind of like retro alternative boards i want to say and the whole vibe when you're riding a twin fin or a single fin mid-length is style you you don't want to just be muscling it you want to be kind of effortlessly surfing the wave and then with me my longboard background, longboard styles, everything on the longboard. So I think with the, our different types of wave riding backgrounds, that's what brings a style into the foiling. I agree with that. I agree with that. The first time I started thinking about style was when I was doing a lot of subsurfing. And since you have more time on the bigger board, it's a lot like longboarding in that regard. And then you have this awkward paddle. So if things are out of place, they look really out of place. Yes. You know, and so making sup surfing look good is is hard. And so like that's when I first started like really thinking about like all right, how do you like there's a guy named Mo Freitas you might know. And oh Mo, yeah, Mo, he's awesome. Mo's a legend, dude. I love Mo. But yeah, like just and him and Fisher Grant, like those guys just are so stylish on a sup. And that was like the first big dive that I that I did on that. Yes, um, Mo Freitas is an awesome individual, but also just kills it at everything. He, he actually foils. I've seen him foiling kind of in the OG days. He was one of the first guys I've seen. And then, uh, just with sup, big wave, shortboard, everything. He's awesome. Yeah. Any charges like, Oh yeah. Set. So you say you haven't been foiling a lot lately, but you did do a hood river trip this year. And, oh, the video you did with lift or for lift on that was insane. Talk about, like, yeah. Talk about like what gear you have been riding and how it's progressed since the last time we talked and what that is unlocking. Oh man. I mean, I think since the last time we talked the big breakthrough and kind of the new eye opening, eye opener fad for everyone is the lift 120. And I'm not just saying this because I ride for lift. I really do believe that it is the best foil that I've tried for in the high asset category. And I know there's a lot of people who, you know, whenever you want to rep a brand or company, you always want to say good things about them. Even if it's not the best, I've been in that situation many times when I'm doing a, maybe a product post. And I think the product is just like really stupid or just, I don't think it's the best or I don't enjoy it, but you know, with a, a deal is a deal. So you do the post for them and, you say like, Oh, this is awesome. Go check it out. The cool thing about foiling and my kind of program with lift is that I would not be on lift oils if I didn't think they were the best. And I truly believe that my lift 120 is the best foil that I've tried. And I've tried a lot of them, tried a lot of the Moses gear 
the Moses gear, gear is great. The Armstrong high aspects, the Takumas. And I've kind of just chose myself to come back to the lift. And before I even hopped on the program with lift, I was riding lift. And so when I say the lift 120 is the big game changer, I, I really mean it. And I'm sure a lot of you guys out there can agree with me. But since we've talked, I think that's been the biggest change in the foil industry because simply because of the aspect ratio and how small it is. I think I want to say maybe like a year, a little over a year ago, they lift released the high aspects. And then before that, Unifoil and Signature had their high aspects. And then recently with Armstrong releasing theirs. And the, I remember everyone amped on the 170 lift and the 210 Albatross and the 170 Unifoil. Those were kind of like the top high aspects, but also the only high aspects out there. When Lyft decided to drop a 120, everyone's like, what? Like, no way. I can't ride that. Too small. I can't pump it. And now everyone is riding them. Everyone's using them for downwind. At least here they are. I know some of the guys on Maui, I know Kai uses a Lyft 120 sometimes. And I think that's just kind of opened everyone's eyes that, wow, you can go smaller you can go a higher aspect ratio and it's, it will still do the job. If not just as much lift, if not better because it's faster. So knowing all of this lift launching all these new equipment changes, I hopped on board, started really getting dabbled with the lift crew and they gave me this awesome opportunity to go to hood river. This was in August, I believe. Yes. August and I went for the Hood River Paddle Challenge. And that's just like the annual event. I think it's been going on for many years. But this paddle contest started with like stand-up paddling and prone paddling, canoe paddling. And then eventually with the wing foiling and foiling getting huge in Oregon, they uh, kind of switched over and it became a really almost equal foil and paddle kind of event where all these guys who paddled before now wing foil, they want to do both divisions or they want to do the wing foiling or prone foiling or sup foiling. So knowing this, I had an awesome opportunity. I went and participated in the event and we filmed some stuff. We filmed e-foil downwind wing, everything lifestyle and kind of just, it was, it was a work trip, but really it was a vacation for me <laughs> before school. It was, even though we were working, trying to shoot a bunch of content, it didn't feel like it. And it was just so awesome. But I think a big part of the whole trip is everyone's foils getting better. And that's what made it so interesting to see everyone's foils at the event. Like, oh, this is the Go Foils new line. This is Armstrong's new high aspects. And everyone's kind of sharing their knowledge and their uh, thoughts and their foils. So yeah, it was cool to see the foil community there and how dialed into their equipment they are and see uh, different sort of riders and different styles of riding. Yeah. So going back to your lift 120 comments, I agree. I think that the lift 120, and I said it on the show many times, has been the most, uh, what's the, what's the right way to say it? It is the most unexpected breakthrough. Yeah. That I've felt thus far. I might say that again now about the Takuma 1095. I have not uh, tried that, but it's bonkers. And now your weight I don't know what you weigh right now, but like I'm about a buck 85, buck 90. The Lift 120, I can ride it, but if it's choppy, if it's turbulent, there's just not a lot of surface area. The, the 1095 with the dihedral, you might really like trying it. it. It might be just one that you could stay up on for years. The, the dihedral allows it to roll like a surf wing, but it pumps like the Armstrong 1125. It's 
kind of all I want to be on right now. That and my son, who, do you know what's crazy about the Lyft 120, Jack, and you'll appreciate this? I can ride it at 190 pounds. It is also the best wing that my son has ridden for him at 80 pounds. And now yes. he just rides it constantly. He's on the foil parts adapter so he can shorten the fuse on it so he can still turn on it. And he's just crushing it. He got he got into the semis at the foil race on that thing. Awesome. Yeah, it was so sick. But yeah, the the 1095, there's going to be... I think the next thing is dihedral for high aspect changes everything because now you get wider spans that roll over like surf wings. And it's just... It's like taking kind of that lift 120, oh my goodness, to the next level. Yeah, I mean, I know... Not to spoil anything, but Lyft is coming out with new designs soon. Oh, sick. Not, I don't know about a full line, but I know they're coming out with uh, certain wings that are modified, changed, and remade. And uh, it's going to be good, I can say. And it's, <laughs> it's the future right there. All I'm trying to do from this position here, Jack, is to get all the brands to battle it out as hard as possible so that the gear gets better for all of us. I mean, we, I think we are. <laughs> I think we can already see that all these different high aspects being made and people prototyping. And uh, you know what's what's really funny is that when you surf, every, like people trade boards all the time. They, you know, like oh, check out my new board. Check out this board. And I got like oh, you should get this in your board. Like you should get this concave. You should get this dimensions. When I went to Hood River, everyone's secret about their foils, even on Maui with the Spencer brothers. And, you know, the Spencer brothers are some of the best foilers in the world, hands down. But they're they're secretive with their gear. I know Kai guys are pretty secretive. And it's because when you find the perfect wing that no one else has, you don't want to tell anyone else because you want to be the fastest. And I know it's different with you guys in the kind of like the surf field, but right now in Hawaii and certain places around the world, Tahiti, the downwind is kind of just the downwind and winging is what you want to do. And competitively speed is what counts. So, you know, when you find that perfect blend of a high aspect or low aspect, mid aspect, whatever the wing is, if it's fast and no one else has that, you're keeping that to yourself. You're not telling anyone. And that's what I think. It's just kind of funny how we're starting to take, or certain people are starting to take the whole like privacy thing so seriously. Do you think that is going to be bad for the sport? You know, I've, I talk to Dave Kalam all the time and he's told me this, I believe on the show. And if not on the show, then, you know, what we've been talking a few times that he's worried about foiling, becoming a racing sport because of the inevitable homogenization of gear at some point, And it, being steered by some sort of governing body in a certain direction. And, and I'm bastardizing what Dave says. So, you know, like Dave, I apologize if this isn't your intention, but that it's going to take away a lot of the soul because he saw it happen in windsurfing. Are you fearful of that at all? I'm not only fearful, but I've already seen it happen. I've seen ex almost exactly what you described. I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're trying to get at is that this whole idea of community and friendship and love for the sport is going to fade because it turns into a competitive racing sport. Is that what you're trying to get at? Not necessarily. I, I mean, I, that, that could be a, a huge part of it as well. What I was saying is that as soon as we get like a racing league, the racing league is going to have certain stipulations on what wings have to be. And then it's going to stifle 
like the creative aspects because everyone's going to have to uh, gotcha. parameters. I think that's Dave's point, but no, I wasn't thinking about it from the community standpoint. Like that's something that we don't feel here at all. I mean, we battle incredibly hard here, you know, Brian and Pedigo and I, and Austin, but Austin's at a whole different level. He's just doing backflips and stuff. We're always battling though. And, and, you know, we mess with each other, but we're also always sharing gear and it, we don't have that same I guess, like real competitive vibe. You're starting to see that, huh? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Molokai to Oahu is the, probably the most prestigious downwind race that we have right now. And since it hasn't run in coming up on two, three years, I believe, three years since 2019, they run it in 2022. I know you've had all these years to kind of prep and get ready and perfect custom wings that everyone's going to come back. And when everyone comes back, no one's going to want to like, everyone's going to be secretive. And I, I only say this because I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen to me. I've seen it happen to with certain people. And you know, when you have like your wing and like the fact that you don't want your friends to try it or like you don't want your friends to see because it's faster. I, I think that's going to start happening more. I mean, I know Ridge and Kyle and you guys, they, with the hydrofoil company, they're prototyping their own stuff. The Spencer brothers prototype and Armstrong. I know Mateo has gotten prototypes, but with this whole prototyping phase, everyone's going to make the most tapped trip custom, whatever. And you're going to have just, it's going to be a competition of who has the fastest foil. And I go to Maui whenever I can. And Annie Kane, the Spencer brothers, Mateo and I, always hang out that's like our kind of our crew and every night we'll have dinner and we'll cruise and every time i go we end up talking about foil design and who has the best foil design what's the future and it turns into like our own little mini podcast which is funny but it's we've all kind of agreed that the there's a very competitive side in the gear kind of category it's not necessarily the rider it's the gear because all of us anyone can just pump as hard as I want, but it's like, if you're going to be riding a go foil Eva wing versus like a lift 120, it's obvious who's going to wing. doesn't matter who's the better foiler. So it's, it's a full gear battle in my opinion. And that's the future, smaller, faster. And yeah, it's, I don't know where it's going to go good or bad, but it, everything is a, a gear game and with foiling, especially gear matters the most. That's an interesting conversation, you know, because I'm a big race fan and you've got F1, which is like the constructors championship where it's, you've got incredible drivers, but it's really about who's building the best car. And then you've got IndyCar where everyone has basically the same car and it's about who's the best driver. And I love watching both IndyCar races tend to be way better than formula one races for the most part. And it also seems like the IndyCar drivers, if you're if you're like extrapolating this point out, seem to get along a lot better than the Formula One drivers who are on you know different gear and have to be so secretive. That I hadn't thought about that until now, but that's interesting. You're a hundred percent correct, and it, it's like if everyone was on the same gear, it would turn into who's a better foiler. Where right. you could have like just some average foiler compared to like really good foiler, but. If one, if the really good foiler has the the shitty wing and the other guy has a crip fast whatever wing, then you already know he's going to win. And it's it's almost unfortunate that it's turned into such a gear battle. But 
you know, if you want to win races, if you want to win events, that's what's going to happen. And the future is races and the future is events. And we're going to start to see more of them. I mean, we've already seen with your Florida race, that's incredible that we've got to the point where we have surf foil races. I think that's so sick. The hood river race, Molokai Oahu, the wing world tour. There's so many kind of races. Unfortunately, we haven't seen any kind of foil surfing competitions. I think that's going to come, but right now the racing is in full effect and it's just taking off. The surfing is going to come for sure. Oh, for sure. It's just a matter of time. And and figuring out format, you know, like I think that that's going to be an interesting debate on what's the right format for surfing, especially when you talk about having to judge, but that that's a different conversation. The, what do you think? And I don't give away any secret sauce. If you're working on, on prototypes with lift or anything like that, I don't, I don't want to do that. I do, but I don't, but what do you think the secret's going to be for the next M2O? I mean, a, a 120 is going to be fastest, right? But if you come off foil, you're in trouble. On a, it's going to be so much harder to restart. Like, h- how do you find that balance of speed, but then the ability to to get back up? Or yeah, great question. Let's say everyone starts in the wind line, and you get towed into the bumps with a jet ski. The bumps are, you know, ten to fifteen feet. Uh, is that what's going to happen for the next M two O? Are you going to get towed in? No, no. No, no, I'm just saying, like, theoretically, if you think about okay. it this way, let's say the event format was like that, it's not going to be, but let's say it was. Okay. At Toten with a jet ski, you had your prone board, and you go until a finish line, and that finish line ends in raging bumps. Yeah, so start to finish, raging bumps. Gotcha. Personally, that, that's I would. Wheeler, who can stay up the whole time, right? Yeah. And I would show up with my lift 60 towing. And if you don't know, I guess the whole centimeters inches things a 60 is about a 390 i believe right so put that into perspective you have your lift your 120 is a 775 the takuma 90 so imagine those wings but then you take chop that in half and you have your uh your 390 okay so i would personally show up to that event with a 390 try to smoke everyone with my fastest towing and uh win but unfortunately that's not the case therefore Starting in a, in the realistic situation, what's going to happen is you have to start in flat water. The wind line doesn't happen until maybe three to five hundred yards out. So you have a three hundred yard pump with just like wind at your back or maybe micro bumps. And then once you get into open water, you're going. And then at the end, you maybe have like a, a hundred yard flat water pump to the end. Oahu, you actually have a one mile flat water upwind pump, which is basically impossible. But let's say another any other race, there's maybe some flat part at the end. That doesn't mean you can show up with your 390 or your 60 and just get up and keep going. That uh that means you want the the biggest possible wing to get up fastest on flat water with your sup or whatever board you're using, or if you do a beach start or a rock start. You need that lift to get up. But then let's say once you're in the bumps, you're stuck with the a 200, which is I don't know, maybe like a 1200 high aspect, you're just going to be going slow. You're going to be breaching. You're going to have too much lift, unnecessary lift. You're going to be going slower. And then the guy in back of you who got up after you is going to pass you and end up in front of you. So it's, it's a full on kind of balance of what's the smallest possible wing that you can get up at the start with 
but also have enough speed to kind of. Is it a flat water start or you have some bumps to get up? Molokai Oahu is a flat water start. Every race kind of varies. I think if you're kind of most race formats, there's either like a bump start or most downwind runs, there's a bump start or a flat water start. You're not immediately enraging bumps. Right. And then at the end, you probably have to pump in a little bit. And that's just how a coast works. But uh, so yeah, it turns, it turns into like a, what foil will give me enough lift to get me up, but the least amount of surface area so I can go the fastest. And that's been the, the key kind of uh, factor in finding the fastest foil. And Molokai to Oahu is the most perfect example because it is a flat water uh, start. And then it goes into maybe the roughest waters in the Hawaiian Islands. And then back to a flat water ending. Did you do that race the last time it ran? I did not. I The year 2019 was the last time it ran before COVID. And I was going to try and do it the summer after that and that's when covid was in full effect and they canceled it and whoever's hating out there (laughs) on covid that it's it's a bummer that they cancel events and it it's unfortunate that so many things have been disrupted but the island of molokai is really special and it's with such a small community and such a, a kind of private and sacred community we, we don't want international people coming to Hawaii bringing COVID. And, you know, let's say someone gets COVID on that island and 60 other people get COVID. And then the, there's not, there's no like real hospital there. They have to be flown over to a different island. So, safety wise, it's the most appropriate call and it makes the most sense. And until it's really safe or safe enough, they're not going to do it. I know they were trying to do it this past year, but the island of Molokai and the people kind of were uncomfortable with it. They said no. And out of respect, you have to abide by their rules since it's their island. So that's a tough one where on the mainland or around the world, you can just go and do whatever now, pretty much. There's yeah. no reason. But uh, with the whole Hawaiian island chain, each island is sensitive in different ways. So <laughs> Molokai Oahu is going to have to wait. Maybe hopefully they can run it this summer. If not, maybe next, but we'll see. How are you guys doing right now with COVID? I know that me personally, I know more people right now because of Omicron that have COVID than I probably knew throughout the whole pandemic. I could name like 20 people right now that have COVID. It's insane. Yeah. It's it's crazy here to everyone. There's a huge, there's a contest on the North shore, huge outbreak and pretty much everyone got COVID and everyone's sick right now. So I just got home from a, a trip and I'm staying safe, staying cautious and trying to stay. Yeah. I just hope this is our way out, man. They had an article, a study that came out today that says that uh, Omicron infection leads to immunity against Delta, where vice versa isn't necessarily true. So that was like the best thing that I've read. So at least we're getting some sort of immunity from what everyone's having to deal with right now. Hopefully in a couple months, we're just back at life. That's my... That would Yes. That would be amazing if everyone just you know, follows the rules and kind of treats everyone as a, a community instead of thinking about themselves before other people. I think that'd be great. And in Hawaii, especially, I don't know how it is on the mainland, but everybody has different views. No one respects each other's views and everyone just gets really aggro. I'm sorry to use the word everyone. Certain amount of, a certain kind of groups of people get aggro about kind of your views on this pandemic. And unfortunately that's the case. And I think unity and kind of respect for everyone needs to be seen more but 
we're slowly getting through it here. And it's and unfortunately, we've had the ocean and we've had all our ocean activities that we've remained kind of consistent and constant throughout the pandemic. But for the most part, Oahu's doing all right and we're going to get through it. But I don't know how it is on the mainland. I live in Florida and Florida kind of decided that it was over a while ago. And yeah, I was, I was going to say, but yeah. you know, like, for the most part, that's been fine because I split time between you know, probably the most open state and then up in New York, Connecticut, which is some of the most locked down. And it's, it hasn't been, you know, there's a lot more freedom in Florida, but you know, I haven't seen, you know, much more of a toll from it. So it's, it's hard. Like, I don't know. I stopped reading news like a year ago about this and I only read data. I just read like scientific studies that come out. because I'm so tired of narrative in both ways, you know, like I just can't handle it. So I just yeah. read numbers. I mean, yeah. Anyway, back, back to the foiling. Yeah, <laughs> ah, but this is good too. Everybody's in COVID, man. People appreciate it. So if you had to pick a wing for that race, that was, we'll say Lyft because you ride for Lyft and you wouldn't pick anything other than that. If you had to pick a wing for the race that's out now, what would it be? And what do you weigh now too? Because like that does yeah. matter. Okay, so I'm 16 years old. I'm five feet, 10 inches tall and I am 150 pounds. Okay. So for everyone out there. Yeah. So the lift 120 is a lot different for you than for me as a 40 pound difference. For sure. And that weight matters a ton. That's like, just like size on the surfboard matters. You wouldn't ride a five, two, if you're six feet tall, same thing with the oil. But if I was to ride one wing for that race, that's out now in the lift lineup, I would pick the 120. And yes, it's one out of like, 20 times. Yes. <laughs> but of course I would train for it. I would practice the flat water starts and eventually get it on the 120. Yeah. I mean, I know Kai has, I know, uh, the Spencer brothers can flat water start pretty small wings, but, uh, I would choose the lift 120 just because it has such a great low end speed and lift kind of when I, and I don't know if everyone knows this, but i personally, I found this out like six months ago, but Kane likes to use the term low end and high end. Basically low end means when you're going slow, how does the foil act? Then when high end is when you're going fast, how does the foil act? So let's say there's like a really good low end. That would mean that the foil has a decent amount of lift when you're going slow, as well as decent amount of speed. And then a a great high end would be just fast and lifty, which is the same thing as low end. And that's kind of the two main things that you want is lift and speed. So the lift 120 being a great low end foil allows you to kind of fly pretty slow and still maintain your lift and speed, not going fast. And then once you're going fast, you know, that thing kind of takes off, but it's that finding that balance between the two wings and seeing what will get you up as well as make you go fast. So the lift 120 would be my pick. If I could pick any wing, I would, I don't want to... I guess there's no secrets here. I would make a one, 140, 150 maybe with a ton of kind of wingspan and a very wide wingspan and a super small cord. Yeah. Meaning very high aspect super ratio, aspect. but yeah. something that would give me a little bit more lift off the takeoff, but could also be faster than the 120 because of that ratio and wingspan and kind of tapered edge or whatever custom details you want to add. But that would be the ideal foil. I have heard rumor from 
people at Lyft that the high aspect line is going to expand. And I think that 140, 150 range from what I have heard is going to happen as well as, which I'm super excited about for my, for my kid, for demo is like, I think a 90 as well, high aspect, which will be insane. Yes. So I hope that happens. I don't want to drop any numbers on anyone or say anything, but the lift high aspect line is going to continue to grow and develop, but those numbers are to be determined or to be released. Right. I, when the first, when the 120 came out, I instantly knew a 150 ish range was needed. And I kind of pitched my idea to Matt Elsasser and wrote up a little email for him to pitch to Nick. And personally, I'm just like everyone else. I think a 150 would be great as, and I, I also think a smaller thing than the 120 would work. Let me ask you this. Have you ridden the foil parts adapter for Lyft yet? I don't. I haven't ridden the foil parts adapter, but I... along with, one of them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, basically, Kane and I make our own adapters out of carbon. And what uh, he did was he just took one of my broken ones and we attached a signature unifoil fuse bit to the end. There you go. So then, uh, Greg Stuber in Hawaii makes them. Oh yeah. yeah and it, for anyone listening out there, shout out to Greg Stuber for taking this mass production or as, as much as he can. And instead of just making one for his friends, he's making as many as he can and kind of putting it out to the world. So shout out to Greg, if you want one of them for your lift foils, hit up him or hit up me on Instagram and we'll get you one. But yeah, I have not tried the foil parts adapter, but it's basically it's the same thing. Like, yes. So I have been chirping at Damien Leroy and Nick a little bit about making that themselves. It makes for me, I guess at my weight, I don't know for my style of surfing or what I like the front foot feel it's all I'll ride now on any of my lift foils. And I think it's so crazy that lift won't make it. And you know, the rationale has been, I think that, you know, it's like, they want to simplify the line and the whole thing, but I think they're underestimating the amount of foilers that care about tuning gear and who don't want a foil that is just one way, just, you know, like here's my tuning, take it. And, you know, I love lift. Like I'm such a fan of, I love the 150 V2. I love the 120, but it frustrates me that they don't, they don't produce that. So yeah, get it from Greg right now, get it from foil parts. But I do think that brands need to embrace the fact that people want to tune gear. Do you agree with that? Oh, for sure. And the whole idea of, oh, but we don't want other people mixing their brands with our brands. It's silly because what if the one guy with the, the whatever Armstrong fuse and Armstrong mast wants to buy a lift adapter so they can put a lift wing on their Armstrong mast, blah, 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 whatever. If someone, a situation like that where someone has one brand and they want a different brand and they want to kind of make mesh them together. What's the harm? Cause then they're, they're buying a lift. Then your brand is getting put out there. It's just, it's just, it's silly how I think every brand needs to be like, we're the only one that fits our way and everyone else has different connections. But uh, to be truthful, the lift kind of crew they're made they're an e-foil company and i think everyone needs to understand that lift is an e-foil company they're not a surf foil company and it just so happens that they have an interest in making surf foils too so their main priority is a, a e-foil and on the e-foil you don't need to 
then E4 will work pretty much the same with whatever wing, give or take. Maybe one's faster than the other, but you don't need to do much adapting. Where I, I don't, I don't know if Lyft has kind of like realized how many people are a fan of their surf oils that there is a kind of customer base and a and a base of people who are interested in different modifications. So I agree with you. I think it's a no brainer that they should do that. I don't know why they haven't yet, but uh, what are you riding the 120 with now? Are you using Greg's adapter and, and shimming and getting more front foot feel? Like how are you tuning that setup now? Yeah. So I am on the 120 with uh, the adapter and basically when I, honestly, I only downwind now I've kind of given up on the whole, I want to say given up, but I've just lost interest in the whole surf oil thing. And I think it's because we live in Hawaii because the waves are good because the so waves are powerful. You don't want to kind of surf oil. You rather just shoreboard or surf, surf. But uh, the downwind thing is kind of like, we're really into it. And that's how we want to perfect our gear to go fastest on the day. So when the downwind is good or like when the wind bumps are good, I guess you could say when the waves are good in, in comparison, I ride the 13 inch KD tail. Okay. Of, I've tried prototypes. I've tried all of them. And the 13 is the best because it has that front foot pressure and it's smooth. It's super drivey. It's smooth. It turns great. The only downside to it is that the low end, like I was talking about earlier, low end when you're going slow, it's bad. It's hard to pump when you're going super slow. It's kind of heavy to pump. It's a forceful pump where let's say the lift 25 tail, it's a super easy tailing to pump when you're going slow. But then once you're going fast, it kind of just gets wiggly or squirrely and kind of, there's no more added drive. I wonder so, how much of that though is the fuse length that, that 25 has such a long fuse that I think a lot of that pump advantage comes from the fuse versus comes from the tail. Have you, yeah. like, I don't know, does Greg's um, adapter allow you to set different fuse positions? Is it shorter? I would guess it's shorter than the 25. Yeah. So he has three holes on there. There's so that three holes, meaning two different options. And uh, personally, I just use the long one. I don't change it. Is it as long as the 25 though? I don't know if you want to get into kind of details, the, the fuse length from, I don't know. The fuse length is, I don't know where he measures from. I'm assuming the front to the back, but it's 10.75 inches. Okay. So anyone can, can look that up. I, I, the reason I bring that up, Jack, is just because I have found such a correlation between longer fuse and easier. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, like I, I, I've noticed that too. Yeah. So I like a like a tuned longer fuse now with a little bit more tail shim to tighten up the radius versus shorter fuses, just because everything gets stretched out and I, I don't know, it feels like more natural to me in a way. Yeah. Well, I mean, for downwind, I'm a fan of the long fuse. It, it adds pump drive torque and i i mean i've tried the short fuse a few times but i like Ka, he said in his podcast here we don't we don't change we don't modify as much as you guys do maybe in florida and you know once you get that thing that works you just run them you guys have a lot more consequence when you do those runs oh than, yeah you know like, yeah for like 45 minutes sometimes that's no good. When, when did you have your last shocker where you had to paddle in for 45 minutes? How long, how long has that been? I want to say that this past, past March. So that's a pretty good, pretty good run there without yeah. one. 
the last 45 minute paddle for me was March and however many nine months ago. That's only because the sup has kind of played a big role in not being able to do those 45 minute long paddles. But you know, you, you fall maybe every now and then, and you have to paddle like five minutes to the local break. But when you do want to do those longer eight mile runs, you're it, it's the, our system is there's a bay pretty much. And when you're in the middle of the bay, you're at the, the farthest possible point, and that's about two miles out. So two miles paddling in the open ocean with swells takes about 45 minutes. And you're scared the whole time, but you make it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's definitely consequence when we do our downwind runs, and that's what keeps it fun. If it was easy, if it was just guaranteed no fall or no paddle, it wouldn't be fun. It would just be kind of routine. And I think that's what keeps us on our toes. We want to do longer runs, gnarlier runs with the prone boards, because we know if we fall, there's a consequence. So it, it causes you not to fall. And that's, that's what keeps it fun, keeps us interested and keeps us on our toes. Well, consequence is one of the big flow multipliers. And that can be, you know, not wanting to fall or danger or social pressure. But yeah, that's why I like produce like performing music in front of a crowd is such a deeper state than like doing it in your bedroom is because, you know, people are watching and probably the same thing there with, with, you know, being on a prone board and knowing if you come off just heightens the state and the, the emotion of it. When, I, when I'm in my shower, I'm the number one pop artist of the year. And then, uh, as soon as I'm in front of people, I am a terrible singer, but uh, yeah, that's, that's a really good analogy. It's, you know, if, if it was easy, if you weren't scared, you're the best. Yep. Scared, you're you're in your shell and you're freaking out and you got to make it happen. It's adrenaline. It's rad. I'm I'm so pumped right now, dude. So I think that there is an incredible downwind like run here on offer. We just don't have the right tools. Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah, yeah, and so actually, Dave Kalama listened to that Kahi podcast, and we've been talking about a board, and that motivated him to ship it. It comes tomorrow. So we have a run of, of like pretty good wind next week. And I'll have a six, three Kalama downwind board that I should be able to hopefully chip into bumps way offshore. So I'm going to be sending a solo mission. Cause I don't have any, anyone yet with another board, but I think I can get Austin to kite with me. We were talking about it yesterday or wing. So I'm not out there all by myself, but, uh, paddle way offshore and then, and then chip in and try to get the first, like, legit offshore down run, downwind run on our coast this next week. That's so amazing to hear you talking about downwinding in Florida and downwinding around, around the world is kind of blowing up. It's not just Hawaii. It's not just Maui, but I think I, I, how I'd far like do you say, think? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say, I'd like to say good luck with the sup. It's freaking hard. Well, Where, I'm good at stuff. Like I spent yeah. three years, like, you know, so we'll see how it goes, but I can paddle up on flat water and I surf good on sup. So we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> you can, you can do a flat water start on the foil. Uh, yeah. I've done that on sup. Oh, oh, then you're fine. I, I thought you've never tried a sup foil before. No, no, no. I started on sup. Oh, oh, that makes more sense. I thought you meant you just were just surf sup. Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah. You'll be fine. But for anyone else listening out there, if you're interested in the sup, be prepared to pay your dues and be, and start all over again. <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> Sucks, but with with a stand up background like Eric has, it's a uh, significantly easier. So, well, I, I expect to pay dues, bro. But my my fallback to- plan is getting is getting Austin out there on the kite and getting him to pull me in if it doesn't yeah. go well. 
Hey, but uh, if you can flat water start, you should, you'll be fine. Yeah. You will be fine. Uh, and keep me updated. I'd like to see how that goes because it's cool to see that there's other downwind runs just besides Hawaii. So, so let me ask you this, Jack, like with the Northeast swell, like if we have got a Nor'easter, you've got a pretty good angle on the swell. My plan is to basically just paddle offshore for, I don't know, 20, like how far offshore do you think I need to be to do a legit run down the coast? Like that, that's what I don't know yet. Should I paddle out, you know, 500 meters or should I paddle out like a quarter mile or, or I guess that's more, but like a half mile. Okay. So it depends how far out your kind of wind line is here in Hawaii. The wind line is pretty maybe a quarter mile outside the, the beach or the sand. So it's, gotcha. it's relatively close. And of course, the farther out you go, the bigger the bumps get. But also, like if you stay on the surf line, there still is bumps if there's wind. Yeah, um, we do shore I, runners now, right? Where where you're just like hugging yes. the you know the the waves, and you still do that. It's just a lot of cardio because you're always kind of pumping into the wind, catching your next bump. I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good question because I'm not too sure what the Florida kind of coastline. It all depends on the coastline, but I'd say paddle out maybe. 10 minutes or until you feel like there is enough chop to get you up. Because once you are up, you can work your way out where once you are it, working your way out, let's say is better than paddling out. So once, if you feel like there's enough chop to get you up, then once you're up and going, you can either go out or go in depending on how far out you are. Okay. But it mainly what's, what's most important is just getting up. You want to make sure there's enough bumps to get up. Once you're up, you're, you're cruising. What do you look for, for enough bumps to get up? Like just, you know, white caps or. Yeah. So, I mean, white caps are, what, what do you use? I, I heard you use a word to define, like we use the word troughed. What, what, use the word what, seam. You, what was that? Seam. Seam. Yes. That's what it was. So the, either the seam or the trough, you want to be in that trough. And when that wave in front of you breaks, it will, you know, this when the wave in front breaks, it comes back and you're in the next one and then you're kind of riding the back. Gotcha. So when, you, when you're getting up, you want to look for enough kind of like texture in the wave where you can identify the trough or the seam and see where it is. And then uh, you want to make sure it's steep enough. But basically you want to just wait for that first one to pass you. And once you feel like the first one's passed you and you're falling back into the next one, then that's when you're p- going to paddle and stroke and get up. Sick. I, I hope I don't have a sh- super shocker on the first one. I expect it to be hard, but be nice to get to get up. Yes. I mean, don't expect to just be killing it the first time. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Should I go Dave Kalama hand paddles or sup? Because uh, you both on this board. Since you have a sup background and you have the knowledge of supping and you can flat water start, I'd say just take the paddle okay. and do the hand Head battles later. Okay. Excuse me. Maybe I'll try that way. So, all right, we got about like 10 more minutes, Jack. What, what haven't we touched on? That's interesting. What would, let's say, put it this way. What would I hear in the podcast? There you go. Good way to put this, it. Uh, board design. Maybe we don't, talk, I've never heard anyone talk about board design and especially sup board design. I know the whole sup downwind is kind of starting to take off here. And basically we've, tried all these different combinations of dimensions and numbers and sizes. And I've come to the conclusion that the uh, 
the longer board with the longer, narrower kind of pencil board gets up and performs way better than the wide boards. Sick. And then just like that in this, maybe a little bit more length and a little bit narrower, the feels more like a surfboard when you're surfing on a prone board. But then what I've noticed is that I've gone back to a uh, very thin, wider board. My current hey, board. Surf prone? Yes, prone. So what, what basically what I'm riding right now, my board is 4.6, 19 inches wide, and 26 liters. So that means it's pretty thin. And I feel a better pump because it's thin and I feel more closer to the foil. It pumps better, but it doesn't turn as well as my 4.4. 18 board and and this and, is down uh, what you're talking about right now yeah so this is down start I, I mean the whole surf thing yeah no no if i, I was trying to clarify yeah if i was trying to be in the surf i'd just get like maybe like a four six that's maybe 18 inches wide and pretty narrow board right and try to just fit but with the downwind i think the thinner board pumps better and then for the sup the longer narrow board gets up faster in the bumps. What are your dimensions for your the one I've got coming is a six three twenty three. What are that's what are you pretty, riding? Yeah, that's pretty perfect for a beginning. At first, I did five six twenty four eighty uh-huh. liters. Yep. Second one, which is my the one currently I have, is uh, six. No, sorry, five nine twenty two and seventy five liters. Five nine twenty two and seventy five liters. Yes, and if I if I were to do another one, I would probably go five, six, twenty-one, sixty-five liters. Once you start getting into sinkers, it gets a little bit weird. You know, like when I was doing a lot of sub surfing, I'd go back and forth between riding boards that were just buoyant or like down to thigh high. And the big difference is coming out of the hole. You know, oh, I called it. Sinker thing. I need to I need to be just right on the surface. I can't do the whole sink thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think at 65 liters, you're going to be a little underwater. Yeah, for sure. But I think, I, I mean, I've tried my friend's boards that are 65 liters. I'm kind of right on the surface. So I can okay. stand enough, but uh, I've tried like 50 liter boards. And I'm just thinking that it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole like different thing. It's easy when it's glassy, but man, sometimes it can get weird. And actually in, in super chop without current sinkers are kind of the way, which is weird because you're below the chop. So they tend to be like more stable. Just like this weird thing that happened in SUP I was figuring that out. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you listen to some podcasts, you listen to Kahi and, and Kane and what did you disagree with? Was there anything that you heard someone saying me or, or the guests that you were like, nah, they're, they're definitely wrong. Yeah, actually I, I disagree with Kahi when he said the shorter board is better for Dylan. Do, do you, do you recall him saying that like a four O is yep. what he wants? He was saying that he liked the 4.0 when he was up, but it made it harder for him. He was getting the, the last chips. It's hard for him I to mean, get the chips. Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm not really even concerned about the chips. I'm concerned about going fast and pumping. And I think the longer boards are actually better because there's more, there's more surface area in the front to drive you forward. It's funny, when you're on a bump and you're going fast, the sup board is actually faster than the prone board. And it's because there's so much extra weight that you just go faster. And it's simple that Dave is so good at downwind because he is heavier. And where if I were to race him, I would be working the whole time, just trying to keep up with him where he would just be leaning forward. So 
forward momentum and weight is it's kind of a no-brainer that the more weight you have the more drive and power so with a bigger board you have more weight and nose in the front of you and that kind of drives it forward better have you thought about adding swing weight i've played a lot with in board design you know double stringers and and actually i did a run of boards a little while ago that were poly blanks to add weight you know because when i was riding bigger high aspect wings at the beginning I just, I liked weight in a board and that might be something for downwind that, that works. Cause it gives you, if you balance the foil far enough forward, it, it, it actually, the board weight is helping you pump and, and keeps you going is what I found. Yeah. I mean, I've never tried a, a poly foil board <laughs> for me. I'm a fan of just super light yeah. construction, but that does make sense that the more weight, you know, in a poly board it would drive you forward but i think it's along with weight it's also a surface area and like just like just board basically in front of you and that board just adds more drive in my opinion it pumps faster than like maybe like a nubby four hour board but besides all of that I'd, i'd like to say that the future for downwinding in my opinion is prone paddleboard sup or not stop. Sorry. Let me restart that. It's a prone paddleboard foil downwinding. So like what Dave's doing, what Dave is doing, but much more refined and without the hand paddles. You think that there's, you can get enough drive without hand paddles to pop up. Yes. I know this because I've actually done it on my subboard. I've paddled into a bump prone on my subboard. And I think all that needs to change is, uh, board design uh-huh. and on a raging day where there's bumps at the start and end like a hood river run for example you will get up and this is my idea hear me out everyone listening but uh, if you know anything about suck or heard from your friends what they think is best i think it's a no-brainer it's obvious to everyone that a narrow board with length gets up the easiest so my next, my current project that's in my head, I have all these ideas that popped in my head and I try to make them happen. But my next idea that's going to happen is a six, six to maybe like six, four by 18 inches wide, 18 and a half inches wide, maybe, maybe 19 inches wide in that 18 to 19 inches wide in that range. And then like 70, 70 liters, 65, 70 liters. So basically a bullet board, super thin, narrow, and it's going to have the same, I want it to have the same outline as a prone paddle board. And the ideal situation is that you can get out into the bump, prone paddle into a bump, stand up and go. And you're going to be jamming without the paddles. I can disagree with me, but I think that that's what's going to happen in the future. Someone's going to do it. I'd like to be the first one to do it, but I want to make it happen. And I think that it's, it, it would work actually. I think that we could pull it off. And those numbers that I listed, those are just ideas. But I think with the kind of trial and error, perfect combination of numbers, you'll be able to prone paddle into bumps. I don't doubt it at all. I mean, I've learned a technique. Maybe you do this too, of like catching unbroken waves on prone. And I ride really small boards, like 25 liters, and I'm a pretty big dude. But I almost like, my buddy calls it like the worm. It's like a, like a double hand paddle that like lets you start pumping the foil while you're laying down. And then you, yeah, I know what you're talking about. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I fully think on a bigger board, you could, you could do it, especially if there's some good bumps that's coming from someone who's never done it and who has no idea. So, Hey, I've never done it either. I've never made a prone paddleboard or whatever done. I, I don't know much either, but that's, that's my thoughts. And I mean, Dave has obviously done it on a, on his board with the hand paddles, but I think we can do it without the hand paddles. I guess it would just be a question of like, can your arms move fast enough? You should be able to put the same amount of force either way. Just you take cadence. Um, think about it like technically that's rad. Well, Jack, this has been insane, man. I appreciate you coming back on the show. It's good to catch up too. It's been a little bit. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm always stoked to nerd out on foiling and it's, it's awesome to listen to the podcast as well as talk to you about them. And just thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, absolutely. Good luck with everything and come back on again. When, when you have something to report, open invite always. Will do. Thanks. I appreciate it. And uh, anyone out there, I know I've said this before, but if you have any more questions about gear, what I'm writing, please just DM me on Instagram. I respond to most of my DMs. I'm sorry if I haven't got to some of you guys, but I'm always happy to share what I'm writing, share my dimensions. And I'm just stoked to see everyone. I'm stoked to see everyone enjoying this sport. I'm stoked to see it grow so much. So hit me up, Jack from town on Instagram. And I'd love to nerd out with you as well. So anyone out there, open invite to come and talk to me. Yeah. Hey, hit up Jack. If you guys want to build that board with Jack and Jack, I should, yeah. you should get on it now because there has been three or four ideas discussed on the show that people have then run with afterwards and then have, have let me know like, yeah, I heard about that on the show. We just developed this. So now that it's out there for the world, the, the clock is ticking. You should know that. Yes. The clock is ticking. If you want to collaborate with John Amundsen and myself, <laughs> you're more than welcome to, but that's my, my goal. So if you want to join me, let me know. <laughs> All right, brother. Right on, Eric. Have a great rest of your day and aloha, everybody. This is the Progression Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen.